0: Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen, and today is December 4th. Today we are really going to jump into the book of Revelation. We're going to take a look at the symbolism and the writing of John. As we talked about yesterday, this book is highly, highly symbolic. And in some places, thank goodness it is, right? Because some places, if it weren't symbolic, it would be downright terrifying. (laughs) but it's super symbolic and i truly believe that it is symbolic so that it could retain its message oftentimes the scriptures that are really really difficult to understand scriptures like isaiah or the book of revelation or even the savior's parables we get this really pure deep doctrine there and it makes me wonder if the reason isaiah wrote so poetically or the reason why the savior spoke in parables or the reason why John's revelation is so symbolic is so that as it passed through the hands of translation they literally couldn't change it. It's hard to change what you're writing if you don't understand what you're writing. If you don't understand you just kind of have to translate it word for word and let it be. It can't go through those philosophical changes the same way other writings might be able to. So We should be grateful for the symbolism here because I truly believe that because of the deep symbolism, we get a very pure doctrine. We get to see the book of Revelation as John intended it to be seen, and we get to read it as it was written. So let's jump in. This might be a little bit different than what we've been doing this year. Because we're going to talk a lot about the symbolism. We're just going to really kind of digest some of this. And yes, I'll try to apply it and we'll try to get rich doctrine out of it. But there will be a lot of explanation of symbolism as we go throughout this. So let's jump in in verse 11. Leading up to this verse, John hears the voice of the Lord. It says it sounds like a trumpet. And this is what he hears. It says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last What thou seest, write in a book. So let's pause right there and just take a look at some of those things. Alpha and Omega are the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so what's being said here is I am the beginning and the end. The Savior's title as Alpha and Omega is to teach us about the expansive nature of the Savior, that he covers everything, and also the eternal nature of the Savior. And then it's interesting because the first thing that's going to be said here, the first thing that the Lord is going to command John is to write down what he sees, to write down this vision. Now, that's really interesting if we compare it to the experience that Nephi had. Remember, Nephi also had visions similar to John, but he was specifically commanded not to write them down. In fact, it says that someone else is going to have that responsibility, that that's not Nephi's responsibility. He needs to stay in his lane and write down these specific revelations or these specific visions, but that John would handle these revelations. And I just think that's so interesting that just like Nephi had the specific visions that he was supposed to write and record, John also had the very specific mission to write and record what we're going to see here in the book of Revelation. And then it says that he's not just supposed to write it, but that he's supposed to send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. And then he lists those seven churches, and they're hard to pronounce, so I'm not going to name them, but they're right there in verse 11. And then it says that John turned to see the voice, and it says, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, let's keep in mind what we talked about yesterday with the number seven. The number seven in this culture meant Complete or total. And so, yes, he's going to write these letters and he's going to send it to the seven churches of Asia. But specifically, where he sees seven golden candlesticks, that isn't talking about the specific seven churches. It's talking about all of the churches, it's talking about all the believers. This symbol right here of the seven golden candlesticks was supposed to be a very inclusive vision or a very inclusive symbol. And I love that the vision of the church membership were candlesticks because a candlestick is meant to hold up light, right? And so here, this vision of the seven golden candlesticks is so specific. It's talking about all the members of the church who hold up their light. But I also love the vision that it was golden candlesticks because the color gold in this day and age was used to show something of great Value And so here, this vision of all the members of the church who hold up their light, it's not just the members of the church, it's the Lord showing John the great value of the believers, especially the believers who are willing to let their light shine and to hold up truth. And now right after that, John is going to see this vision of the Savior. And what's interesting about this vision of the Savior is the description of him here is not a Simon Dewey picture, right? It is not the LDS art that we are used to looking at. That's not what we're looking at. What we're going to see here is a ton of symbolism in this picture of Christ that John is going to describe But these symbols that John is going to describe are going to teach us so much about the Savior's attributes and his character. So let's take a look at this vision. In verse 13, it says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, and not just like unto the Son of Man, it was the Son of Man. Listen to this description, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. So let's take a look at what these two things mean. He was clothed, but not just clothed, he was clothed all the way down. He was completely covered. Now I love this because the atonement in Hebrew actually means to cover. And so here the Savior is clothed head to foot in this grace and in this mercy. The fact that the Lord is completely covered shows his ability to completely clothe us in his atonement, in his grace, in his mercy. And then it also says that he has this golden girdle. Again, golden, something of value. I love that visual because Paul has already taught us about the armor of God, right? And when he talks about the girdle or something that we are girt with, it's the girt or the girdle of truth. And so here the Savior is wrapped around, not just in truth, but he's wrapped around in golden truth or valuable truth. Meaning the truths that the Savior taught are the most valuable thing that we have. And when we use them, when we apply them, we are covered from head to toe in his grace and in his mercy. And then verse 14, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. So we see that Purity on his head. And then it says, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, there's something really interesting about this translation his eyes were as a flame of fire, because the way it was originally written in Greek, it wasn't his eyes, it was the eyes of him. And that might seem like a really subtle difference, but in Greek writing, phrasing it the eyes of him would have been written in a way to Emphasize just how incredible something was, or just to emphasize how different something was. He is really making a point to show the uniqueness of the Savior's eyes here. And then it says, We're as a flame of fire. Now, I think far too often people take this way too literally thinking, well, Christ has this just fire in his eyes. And that may have been true, but there's something more to it than that, because the word used for flame here might seem redundant. A flame of fire. Well, isn't all fire flame? Yes, but the word used for flame here was actually a descriptive word of fire. It wasn't a flame of fire. It meant that it was like swirling and whirling and reached up. It was describing how flames worked. And so where it says it's as a flame of fire, it's not trying to describe fire to us. It's trying to explain to us what a fire is like. Now, I want you to think of a time when you have sat in front of a campfire and really just got engrossed in those flames. Do you remember how mesmerizing flames of fire are, the movement of them, the swirling of them, they are stunning and hypnotizing and just mesmerizing. I believe that that is what John was trying to capture here with this description. Not that there was fire in his eyes, but that his eyes were as the flames or the movements of fire, that mesmerizing, hypnotizing feeling of just staring into the Savior's eyes is what I think John is trying to describe here which I like so much better. It makes me look forward to the day when I get to look up into my Savior's eyes, be mesmerized by his grace, be mesmerized and overwhelmed with gratitude for his truth and for his all-encompassing mercy. I think that is what we will see in his eyes.